0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go
1: to Tyndale.com.
0: It's actually alive, and you're already practicing theology. The question is just, Are you practicing it in a way that leads to freedom and to holiness, or are you practicing it in a way that leads to bondage and boredom?
2: Welcome, Grace Enough listeners. Today, I sit down with author, podcaster, Bible teacher, and founder of Every Woman, a theologian, Felicia Masonheimer. Felicia is known for answering real faith questions with deep theological and thoughtful answers. And that is what you'll hear today. A number of Grace Enough episodes come about as a result of my guest's long-term work that eventually makes its way to a book. But what is so easily missed is the author has been living out their words long before they're published. That's true of Felicia's book, Every Woman a Theologian. You'll hear me say during our conversation that this is a theology handbook that everyone who hasn't gone to seminary needs. It's easy to understand, it's meaningful, and it's helpful. So after listening to today's conversation, if you decide to purchase Every Woman a Theologian, click the affiliate link in the show notes. I receive a small payout from Amazon at no cost to you. And that goes toward continued production of the show. Alicia Masonheimer, welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I um, am so grateful for all of the things that you put out um, that you sell that but mostly what you share on Instagram. For all of us who are trying to learn this big topic of theology, so first, thank you um, for all the work that you put in on that.
0: Of course, it is a joy, and it is so truly life-giving to see people engaging with theology and with the Word of God, even through something like Instagram, (laughs) so I'm glad that, that you've enjoyed it.
2: You do such a great job and I've often thought I would love to be in a room with her while she's brainstorming all of these things. It is, <laughs> is it very crazy? Very- or are you one of those people that write it down or is it just popping your head and you do it?
0: I definitely have to handwrite it, whether on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper, because I just I can't think as well when I'm typing it like into a computer Same. and I try to take off a, like a full day of the week just for thinking. Hmm. And coming up with ideas of what kinds of things to create that people, you know, might resonate with or find funny and it might get them thinking. So whether that's for actual products or just like an Instagram reel, um, it's really fun for me to come up with different ways for people to engage with the Bible.
2: Yes, I feel like I could have a whole different conversation about that process, but that's not what any of my listeners (laughs) are here to hear about all the way that we do things behind the scenes. And so I start off uh, my conversations. I love to hear how people came to know Christ in their early faith journey. So share just a little bit of that with us as we get going. Yes.
0: So I grew up in a Christian home and a very actively Christian home. My parents were very intentional in their discipleship. Of myself and my five siblings, and so I learned a lot about God. I knew about the Bible. They took us to church, but it definitely was not real for me. Um, I was oh. actually very resistant to it, and there's no other explanation except that I literally didn't have the Holy Spirit. I I was not open to God at all. And I remember standing in church at 12 and 13 and just refusing to sing the worship songs because I didn't like them and I didn't want to be there. And at 15, I encountered the Lord, like he truly convicted me of Hmm. my sin and showed me that I needed salvation and that I could not be good on my own. And I came to Christ by myself in a field behind my house um, At 15 years old, through that conviction, a big part of that was at 12 years old, I was exposed to pornography, not in my home, outside my home, and kept that a secret from my parents for many years. And through that struggle, I think I was forced to reckon with the fact that I couldn't overcome mm-hmm. on my own. And that's actually what brought me to Christ was realizing, oh, I'm not I'm not as good a girl as I, you know, think I am, or I can, you know, put up this facade. I I need something supernatural in order to overcome this. And so that was a big part of my coming to Christ and my journey forward out of my teens.
2: Well, so when your parents who were very intentional, how would you say they interacted with you in those years when they knew like, wow, she's really pushing hard back against this?
0: I think they were a little puzzled because that my parents' personalities were very different from mine too. They were much more um, compliant as children. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, it was a little <laughs> shocking. They were both youngest and middle children. I was an oldest child. And I think that they were at first a little puzzled by it. Um, but I think they also understood that... Salvation only comes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I am grateful for, and I talk about this a lot on my own platform, is that my parents did a good job of teaching on the Holy Spirit, Mm. a theology that's often left out of a lot Mm. of people's educations and discipleship journeys. They did teach the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, even though I was not receptive, I had a foundation for when I actually did come to Christ. So I think they were very puzzled and probably frustrated and maybe scared. But Mm. at this time, they were faithful to pray. And they still taught me it was like, well, you're in our house. So you have to sit under this teaching and then you get to choose what you do with it was kind of the mentality.
2: Mm. I just think that's so powerful, particularly for people who listen to my show as so many of us are in that parenting realm where you don't have just toddlers anymore, right? And you're starting to see your kids, like, are they the people pleasers? Are they the ones that say, whatever, I'm not buying into that. I do what I want to do and everything yeah. in between. And so I I want to dive into your book, um, Every Woman a Theologian. But because you just shared that your parents did speak and teach on the Holy Spirit, what would you say they taught you that you feel like is missing? nowadays cuz i know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yes, a lot of Christians in my experience working with adult Christians and teenagers, my husband and i were in college ministry for 3 years, a lot of Christians are taught one of two extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Mm. They're either taught that he only works in the sensational and the miraculous, like healing, big displays of speaking in tongues or worship experiences, yeah. or they're kind of taught that he's just there, like there's no real specifics, like maybe someone will be taught he's a comforter um, and he helps you become holy, like he bears the fruit of the Spirit. But mm. other than that, they're really not taught about him at all. And the emphasis is more on Father, Son, and Scripture, Holy Word, mm. instead of Holy Spirit. And I think what my parents did well was they had already experienced the extreme Holy Spirit Stance. So they had been in extreme Pentecostalism and they had walked away from that, but they were wise to not go too far to the other extreme. And so they did teach the Holy Spirit is who enables you to obey God. The Holy mm. Spirit is who makes you holy. The Holy Spirit is who convicts you of sin. He's who speaks to your heart and your mind. Listen for him. And when he speaks to you, obey him. Like mm. teaching to hear the voice of God. And hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit is fundamental to the Christian life. And so when we leave that part out, you're left with just memorizing scriptures and trying to do it on your own willpower. So because they taught this robust Holy Spirit theology without knowing that, by the way, not, right. not like with terms or like big books about it. It wasn't like that. Um, when when I was struggling with a sin that they were not aware of, this addiction, I had something of a toolbox to work from mm. and that's something that I am trying to do with my own kids.
2: Wow. That is powerful because you're right. I mean, I would say if we ask a lot of people what their view is of the Holy Spirit, we would get much more of of what you said in the beginning versus like yes, he counsels me. He there's this inner that voice is not always you have to learn to discern the voice of your own flesh and then that other voice is the spirit of God. Yep. And so listen to it. Don't be afraid right. of it, right? <laughs> like, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm just making that up or whatever. And I'm like, nah, probably not. So anyways, when I read your book, I loved it because it was practical, it's meaningful, and it's easy to understand. And I found myself saying, everyone needs to read this book. If you have any interest in theology, this is one of the most practical tools that I've read. And so... When did that really start for you, that desire, that love of theology and all of the things and how you break it down into simple ways for people like me to understand? Honestly, it
0: began very quickly after I was saved, because one of the things that I began to wrestle with immediately was, how do I know I'm truly saved Mm. if I continue to sin in the same way? Like, when does the forgiveness run out? And, and oh, how yes. do I really repented if I sinned again and again and again? Is there any hope for me to ever be free from this sin? That, that was mm. the question I was asking at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And it's a theological question. Like people are still asking it. Adults are asking it, right? And our kids are asking it. My five-year-old will sometimes say, I want to do the right thing and I can't. Why not? That's a the- theological question. That's right. And so it began at that point in a fledgling form because I was having to actually go to the Bible and figure this out for myself. Yeah. And again, there was some shame there, of course. So I I wasn't telling my parents. So I was doing this on my own. Looking back, I wish I had you know talked about it with them earlier, but it did force me to kind of wrestle this out with God. Mm. And then at 18 years old, as I was starting to understand this better, I had a friend who was very interested in atheism and I began reading a lot of different atheist works and comparing that to what I saw in the Bible to see which was more worthy of being believed and then eventually hmm. went to college for religion and so I think the Lord the gracious way he is you know the the gentle step by step process that he gives he was kind of ushering me along this path where i was having to wrestle with theology because of my own experiences yes but i was also learning how that theology directly impacts the way that we live our lives every day i didn't plan to go into full time ministry originally um it was just i wanted people to know like look this is what the bible says about repentance let's settle this issue once and for all instead of living in this chaotic, constant state of doubt that I was living in.
2: Gosh, I'm so impressed by that because I just think of my 15-year-old self, and I shouldn't say impressed. I mean, the Lord does what the Lord does when the Lord wants to, right? But I just think my 15-year-old self wasn't thinking about any of those things. So, I mean, you're definitely a deep, critical thinker. And, and is that what your parents really saw in you when you were young? Like, this girl just needs all the answers or she is not going to be satisfied? I think they were alarmed (laughs) by that. (laughs) I think they still joke. My mom's so funny.
0: She's always like, you never liked the rules. And I was like, that's not true. I like rules that make sense. (laughs) She was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, It is a questioning thing. I guess I I was a questioning child and I'm a questioning adult. Yeah. But I think it's good for us to ask questions as long as you're not living in a state of questioning. There's a difference, right? I'm a questioner. I want to know why. I always wanted to know why. Yeah. But once you get your why, once God gives you the why, you do have to come to a place of certainty and trust Him. There's right. the, nothing noble about a life lived in constant doubt. Yes. At some point, you do have to say, God, your answer is good enough. Mm-hmm. And so, Why is a wonderful question. And then sometimes God says, all right, well, he answers you like Job out of the whirlwind and
2: says, I am that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you all the ways, right? Well, and I think there's a difference in asking questions and really wanting answers, right, versus asking those questions just to live in that perpetual place of no one can satisfy me. I'm not really looking for answers. Right, exactly. Exactly.
1: Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
2: I love that you talk about early on is letting God define himself. I think that's something else that is so critical to a basic understanding of God that some of us don't really get until we're much further along in our spiritual journeys. And so What do you mean by that? And why is it important to let God define himself?
0: Well, a lot of people don't realize when it comes to theology is that it's a big word for something you already have. Mm. We all already have assumptions about God. You pick them up from your parents. You pick them up from churches you've been in. You pick them up from not being in the church. Mm -hmm. You pick them up from books. And these are assumptions that we build about who he is, how he works. If your father left when you were very young, you could believe well, God's absent, he he doesn't care. If mm-hmm. you grew up in a very critical home, God is just judging me all the time. You know, there are things that we assume about God based on our experiences, and we have to let God say who God is and look at what scripture says about him because that's his clearest revelation of himself. Right, He reveals himself other ways, of course. But his clearest revelation is the word. And in the word, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I'm father to the fatherless. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is what he says about himself. And so that's what we choose to believe. So letting God define himself means checking our theology against a truly biblical theology mm-hmm. and saying, Is what I think about God actually true?
2: Mm. I love that because it is right. I mean, our experiences so often define who we think God is. I remember when it, I mean, just recently, it's been a couple of years, really getting to the root of something where ultimately I had believed because of some childhood experiences that I could lose the love of God, even though in my head and out my mouth, I would say the very opposite of that, but a core belief was not there, that I truly deep in my soul believed that I couldn't lose his love. And that changed everything for me. Mm, That's awesome. So tell me this. Most people don't hear theology and get super excited. (laughs) Most people are like, this is way too heady and academic. I'm out. And so how can theology, you know, the study of God really help us foster like a genuine connection with others mm-hmm. and with this trinitarian person that we have a relationship with.
0: Oh, I love that question because you're really asking how do we how does theology give us the vertical and horizontal relationship mm-hmm. that Christianity is all about? And the thing that I always come back to is you can't even have a relationship with God without theology. And you can't know what your relationship should look like with other people without theology both of those things are a study of the nature of God yeah. and how we relate to him and his people because that's mm-hmm. what theology literally is so when we say well i can i can have a relationship with god because of jesus and his death on the cross that's christology mm-hmm. it's the theology of christ it's also soteriology the theology of salvation our relationship with other people requires sanctification, us becoming holy, bearing the fruit of the spirit. That's pneumatology, theology of the spirit. So you have all of these ologies that are just terms to describe the realities you are already living in. I have a class that I'm teaching. It's a theology 101 class. I'm teaching through the summer at my house. We have about 20 women in it from all different churches and denominations. And one of the things we've talked about in the group is the direct impact of things like spiritual gifts and the fruit of the spirit and understanding these things on how we live and the conversations we have with unbelievers and also Mm. with believers. So there's a direct impact between how you think about God, how you think about your life in him, how you think about the Bible, how you think about holiness and sin, Mm. direct and immediate impact on the choices you make every single day. Yeah. So it sounds all heady and boring, and I suppose maybe some people teach it that way. But to <laughs> me, it's actually alive because it has so much meaning, and you're already practicing theology. The question is just are you practicing it in a way that leads to freedom and to holiness, or are you practicing it in a way that leads to bondage and boredom?
2: Oh, There's yes, two. Girl. So choose freedom. (laughs) That's what I always say. (laughs) That's right. Choose freedom. Well, and that's something else that you talk about. You say that you went from living, like viewing, or or I guess that idea of like, okay, I got to follow all the rules to know like being a Christian is an adventure. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know, just flesh that out. Talk about that a little bit, because I understand that, you know, like, no, this life, I had a middle schooler the other day tell me, I mean, When people get up and just kind of like read the Bible, it's boring. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We got to. I understand what you're saying, because it's not the same as sitting with your friends But that's just because it's not being communicated in a way right now that you can wrap your mind around it. You know, Jesus laughed with his friends. He celebrated with his friends. He sat around a table and just was loud and probably obnoxious a little bit and also serious, you know, all these things. And she's like, really? I'm like, yes, that's what the Bible is all about. So flesh that out a little bit for us. So I use the term adventure because when
0: we're following the voice of God, which is based on the word of God, the Bible, Mm -hmm. Uh he is going to directly customize or apply the Bible to our life. And that means that it will look very different in some ways from another person's. Our lives look very different, right? Where we live, who we interact with, our church environments, our families, but we both have the same Holy spirit of God. He's leading us in different ways for different purposes and different giftings, that alone is mind-blowing. We serve the same God. We're doing the same work. All people are, not Mm -hmm. just those in ministry. We're all working for the same gospel, but he's customizing it to you. Mm -hmm. And that is crazy that he cares that much that he wants to do that, that he wants to invite us into his purpose, and that he designed you with the personality you have to interact with his Holy Spirit and impact specific people through you. That's the adventure of it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's one person, or if it's hundreds of people, every single Christian will reach somebody in a unique way, but they might not even understand or know about until they see God face to face. And that's part of the adventure of all this. Now, of course, there's adventure too, in the fact that God's revealed himself through creation and the fact that we can participate in beauty and goodness and truth and music and drama and art and nature and all of that. That's an adventure too. But in terms of the spiritual, you have the opportunity to literally walk in step with God himself, hear from God himself, and be led by him into a life of purpose and meaning and excitement and joy. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes Christianity so special.
2: Yes. And I've said to the girls before too, your life is a part of the biblical story. Like Yes. And so you don't have to look at Moses as this old man that lived long ago that has nothing to do with you? Absolutely not. There are so many things from his life and every person in the Bible. They were real, living, breathing people. And we just get a front row seat to seeing all that happened. But you have to remember, it was a lifetime. I mean, it wasn't just turn the page and then Moses was 84. You know what I mean? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I'm like, that's part of the adventure. And you're a part of that. Okay, well, so you dive into all, we were speaking of ologies earlier, which is just the study of, I know, in my science world, it's like, I don't want to do biology. I'm like, don't think of it as such a heady term, you know, think of it as we're just studying life, like that's all we're doing. Um, But you dive into a lot of those. And a lot of those words, again, people just don't know what they are. You shared a few of them, but I'm going to mention A few of them, I want you to give us a brief overview, maybe, of something you share or just what it is. Bibliology.
0: Bibliology is the study of the Bible, the nature of the Bible, its history, how it was compiled, and why we can trust it.
2: Mm, I love that because I think you can hear that word and think it's just studying scripture, but it's actually the study of how it was all put together and why we can trust it. Okay, Christology.
0: Christology is the theology of Christ, his nature, so his deity and his humanity, and also his pre-existence. So did he exist before he became incarnate through Mary and became a human? The answer is yes, but it's an important doctrine we don't always think about. Also, Christology would address the fact that Jesus is equal with God and in unity mm-hmm. with God. He's not subordinate to God as well as the importance of him having a physical resurrected body.
2: Mm, That's a really good part of your book. Look, I'm really promoting it because I really did love it. (laughs) Okay, eschatology. Eschatology is the theology of end things.
0: So the end times, and this theology would teach the different approaches that we have in history and in Biblical scholarship on how the end times are understood. So, for instance, different churches don't all believe that there is a rapture. That's mm-hmm. a very specific theology to certain denominations. There's a lot that don't believe in a rapture. Um, and there are other theologies too that interpret the millennial reign of Christ differently and things like tribulation. And so, it's the study of those things and what they mean for Christians
2: today. Mm. So complicated. That's the one that I'm like, whew, <laughs> don't get all up in arms when we disagree, friends, just which we're going to talk about unity in the church in just a minute. But okay, I may not say this one correctly. So you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But soteriology? Very good. Yes, that's great. I that's a theology <laughs> of salvation. So how does
0: salvation work? How is it accomplished? Mm. What happened on the cross? um What changes in us when we are saved? Can we lose our salvation? Um, How do we become like Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross? And it also would encompass um, different ideas about salvation, like determinism, which says God is choosing who will be saved, and also libertarianism, which says that we can freely respond to God's call of salvation. So these terms are all just labels to make sense of biblical concepts. So you won't usually see them in the Bible. They were created by scholars to put a box basically around an idea.
2: Yeah. It's to help break them down. I mean, that's when my kids are studying science. Why does there has to be a class and a phylum and a, we go down the line and I'm like, don't get caught up on the words and all the names just remember this is helping you put things in your brain in categories because our brain can process information better when we put it in categories. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's not to box you in and make you feel like you're going to, you know, be restricted and just go crazy. No, it's actually to help you make sense of it. So, okay, well when we think about the doctrine of salvation, it's true that so much of that and the different ways traditions view salvation can create such a division among believers. And you talk about unity in the church and its importance. And so I want you to share a little bit of that here. And like, what are some of the ways forward in that? Because it, be, it can become really, really frustrating to feel like you're not on the same team with people that you know you're on the same team with.
0: Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all experienced that whether in real life or on social media, which is a classic place for this kind of division to occur. Yes. The big thing to remember is that there are core doctrines of Christianity. There are things that make you a Christian. Mm-hmm. And those things have been consistent over 2000 years of church history. We can't escape that. We can't mm. avoid that. But At the same time, there are some freedoms within Christianity, freedoms of expression, as I stated earlier. So people worship differently. They might practice communion differently or they might baptize differently or sing different songs than us or maybe, you know, be a little bit more strict about what they wear or the things they participate in than other people. Mm -hmm. And those things are freedoms of practice and freedoms of conviction, But the core is what we unite around. So orthodoxy is a word that means sound teaching. And over the course of church history, orthodox teaching was summed up, and this is how G.K. Chesterton puts it, orthodoxy was summed up as the creeds and the historic conduct of those who held such a creed. So Mm -hmm. what he's saying is these statements of faith from the early church are essential. And then the historic conduct of those who held those creeds, the holiness of Christians. So, mm. how they live their lives, the fruits of the Spirit, the moral requirements that are outlined in the New Testament and in the documents of the early church in the first one, mm-hmm. 200 years tell us what Christians were doing, how they were living, mm. what they stood for. Yeah. And so, Christians are called to uphold those core doctrines and that essential holiness and how they live, and it will set them apart both from the culture and sometimes from the modern compromised church. But you should be able to unite with other denominations around those core things and then give grace for the other differences.
2: No, and I feel like more than ever, and it probably is because of social media but it just feels so divided and and sometimes i feel like the way we're trained um those of us who are content creators this is it's like oh in order to market yourself be as divisive as possible now no one comes right out and says that directly <laughs> yeah. yeah but say the loudest, rudest, most you know like thing that's going to grab someone's attention say that mm-hmm. because that will get you more views um I mean, girl, how do you deal with that in the world that you're living in? Because your platform is much bigger than mine. And I know it can't be easy because I'm sure you get plenty of comments (laughs) that are kind and not so kind. Yes, I could talk
0: for days (laughs) about what I've had to do to um, show up in that space with that kind of division and, and the responses you get. You do have to obviously understand that there's diversity of thought in the Christian Mm. realm, and that's a good thing. You also have to understand that there are differing levels of spiritual maturity, Mm. and some people who consider themselves spiritually mature are actually very spiritually immature, so they have the knowledge, the head knowledge, but their emotional spiritual walk with God is actually very stunted. They have not been taught a healthy understanding of the Holy Spirit and his sanctification mm. um, all on that journey, including myself. Yes. But because of that, when you're online and you're looking at like how could these Christians behave this way, understanding that spectrum of spiritual maturity and the need for discipleship, the need for theology. For people to know what they believe and why they believe it, not Mm -hmm. just adopting it from whatever tradition they're in, but actually questioning it and holding it up to the word of God and saying, what has the church taught through history? How can I understand this? Well, when we do that, we're much more able to give grace for those differences and know when we do need to die on a hill because sometimes you do need to die on a hill. But most of the time, in order to operate in compassion, I have to think about Jesus once was walking towards Jerusalem and he looked at Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you would come to me that I could gather you like a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you Mm. weren't willing. And the way that Jesus looked at these people was as the lost and the little. And until the very end of things, he always, holds out his arms to those people. And some of them will not come, but some will. Mm. And so when we're looking at this supposedly divided Christianity, I think keeping in mind those people, the lost and the little, helps us to keep the core the core Mm -hmm. and kind of shrug our shoulders and say, if you want to get mad, you can get mad about these secondary doctrines. But... We're going to unite around what really matters and we're going to hold out the gospel to those that need it.
2: Mm. So, tell me this as we begin to close out because we're on this sanctification journey, are there a few things that you would say, yeah, you know, my view on that is different than it was even a few years ago? Yeah, there are a couple
0: things, nothing in the core, um, thing in the you know, the heart of Christianity, mostly practical questions. Yeah. So Same. when I first became a Christian, I was adjacent to a lot of very conservative circles. And I had some really strict views on modesty. Same. I have really strict views of gender rules and marriage. And then the man Amen. I married didn't fit that expectation of what I thought.
1: Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah.
0: I, thought I mean, I was- get it. Yeah, I thought I was going to marry this like domineering Christian husband who was going to like tell me what to do because that's how it, it seemingly was presented. That's not how my parents were, but um it was presented to me in this culture that that's how real leaders lead. And the man I married is not that way. He's very kind, he's very gentle, he's strong, he has opinions, but he's not going to domineer me. And so that Praise was something that having to go to scripture and look at the theology of it to understand like, what does it look like to have a Christian marriage? If it doesn't look the way that I was taught, it mm-hmm. should look. So that was one thing. And um, I also really pressed into the problem of evil, how the Bible was compiled. If you can trust it, whether atheism was true, like these are things that I had questions about was mm-hmm. the old Testament God, cool, mean. Mm-hmm. mean, you know, Um, these are questions I had. And so I wrestled with them for months, went to scripture, came out on the other side, more convinced that God is good and God is loving and he's worth following.
2: Yeah. And I mean, right, like five years from now, I hope I'm not the same person talking to you today. Right. Isn't that part of the journey? Yeah. All right. Final question here. Viewing Jesus as both king and friend. Let's talk, yeah, just talk about that a little. How do we hold that intention? And again, why is it so important? Because I think we see sometimes people see him as either this or this and not both. It's yeah. like, no, he is absolutely both. Yeah. So
0: scripture is very clear about Jesus' authority. And Jesus was clear about his authority. Mm-hmm. He operated in full confidence of his authority. And he is going to return to exhibit that authority. That's right. He's a judge, he is a leader and one of the most beautiful things about him is that he is both the shepherd and the king. He's a mm-hmm. suffering servant and the one coming on the clouds. That's the great dichotomy of who he is. And the beautiful thing about him mm-hmm. is that you have this authority figure who is perfectly just, but who is also so loving to lay himself down. It's basically like the core story of every fairy tale, every fantasy. It's everything that we've ever based an amazing epic on is, but it's true, (laughs) contains these elements, right? But this is true. So this is like the original story Mm -hmm. that I think we crave. Absolutely. One of the reasons we need Jesus as King, because he's unquestioningly King, we need him as King because that is our security we need boundaries. We need guidance. We need leadership into holiness and we need saving. And if Jesus were only our friend, he would not have the authority and power to save. But the beautiful thing is that while still being King and having this authority, he was willing to humble himself to the form of a servant and say that we are his friend And that's his choice to do that, to make himself available, to be that compassionate, to send his spirit as the comforter and the advocate for us. And that's one of the most beautiful things about him is that if you look at every other religion, human beings are either serving a God Mm -hmm. or they're making the God in their own image Mm -hmm. or both. Mm -hmm. Those are the two options. So either your God is too small or your God is too cruel. Mm. And in Christianity, your God is great and powerful and just, but he's also kind. And he also made himself low and small so that we can say yeah. he has sympathies with every one of our weaknesses. He's the perfect high priest, as Hebrews says. So I love that about him. I think that too. whenever I would doubt or struggle or think about other world religions or ask the question, what if this is all made up? Which I have asked, you know, <laughs> it's all made up. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm rich lot here. Like, not only am I risking my own faith, but I'm risking every person who I've led into this. Is this for real? And I come back to that. There is no religion in the world that offers yeah. that tension and offers that grace.
2: Mm. Well, that's a good place to end for sure. I mean, I hope that listeners will really sit with that for a while and also pick up your book if people want to connect with you. Instagram is the best place, I think. But what's your website? Yes, my
0: website is FeliciaMasonheimer.com. That's where all of our resources are. So we don't just have Every Woman a Theologian, the book. Every Woman a Theologian is our organization. And it's where we have dozens of other books on specific topics. So if you want to hone in on spiritual gifts or even modesty and purity culture or something like that, we have booklets and books on all of those things We also have a hospitality line and a kids line and all sorts of fun stuff that's coming out soon. And we do verse by verse Bible studies. So you can grab those on our website or listen to my podcast to get updates as well.
2: Thank you so much. Um, I'm grateful for your voice and for this conversation. Thank you, Amber. Once again, I want to recommend Felicia's book, Every Woman, a Theologian. It is one I will continue to reference. It is linked at graceenoughpodcast.com slash theologian. I appreciate every purchase you make using the affiliate links on graceenoughpodcast.com. It is a great way to support the continued production of the show.
1: Thank you for
0: listening to
2: the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time!